Um, in one of the many, for me, memorable episodes of the TV series Seinfeld, how's that for a change of pace? <laughs> Jerry and Elaine are looking to pick up a mid-sized car that Jerry has reserved from a car rental agency. I'm sorry, the employee behind the counter says, we have no midsize available at the moment. Jerry, looking puzzled, replies, I don't understand. I made a reservation. Do you have my reservation? Yes, we do. Unfortunately, we ran out of cars. But the reservation keeps the car here. That's why you have the reservations. <laughs> looking frustrated, the employee replies, I know why we have the reservations. I don't think you do. <laughs> if you did, I'd have a car. So you know how to take the reservation. You just don't know how to hold the reservation. And that's the most important part of the reservation, the holding. Anybody can just take reservations, his arms flailing in the air as if he is writing up reservations everywhere, at which point the employee says, let me uh, speak with my supervisor. And it goes from there. This comic exchange has come to mind in a much less humorous way with recent devastating developments issued from what is known as the Supreme Court attacking reproductive rights, affirmative action, environmental protections, the list goes on. And this court shows no signs of stopping in a mission to roll back much of what I consider the most positive changes that have been made in this country, thanks to the hard work, sacrifice, and sustained efforts of activists across many generations. And this scene from Seinfeld comes to mind because I realize we often t talk of what it takes to make a change. We now are grappling with ways in which we have failed to keep the change we have made. We must learn ways to keep the change if we are ever going to be able to give our energy to the further changes we wish to see, the changes that call us forward. And I am not suggesting that making a change is easy. It is not nearly as frivolous and inconsequential an act as taking a reservation, according to Jerry Seinfeld. But I am suggesting that the two acts can be separated in a similar fashion. Making a change can be separated from keeping the change, which leads to unfortunate consequences. When making a change is separated from keeping the change, there is some of the same dumbfounded frustration that Seinfeld displayed when there were no mid-sized cars available. Didn't we already take care of this? I hear people ask. Didn't we already struggle for this right, these protections, this awareness? Why didn't it stay? Why do we have to do this again? Yes, those people who engaged in the struggles over time made the change. Why is it that we were not able to keep the change, to hold the change? Now, thinking of myself, I think I sometimes delude myself about how change works. 
<coughs> excuse me, I can help to direct change, but I do not control it, nor can I suspend its operation. Say, okay, enough change, stop right there. Because we have made it a noun, I tend to think of any given change as a thing, a brick in whatever building project I have engaged. We'll build a land. There. We've made this change, so that goes there, and this change, that goes there. And so it is, we build up the walls of what we hope to be this inclusive structure, expecting all our bricks to stay where we have put them. We can, we think, forget about those bricks so that we can go and gather others. Alas, we have seen how swiftly those bricks can be pulled loose even from a load-bearing wall, even from the very foundation of our structure where we had thought they were set in place for good. <clears throat> but with the stroke of a pen, a pronouncement from some unelected man, almost always a man, a pronouncement from some unelected man in a robe, the scraping and bowing of elected officials paying back the moneyed interest who paid their way to power in the blink of the proverbial eye, the change that was made is the change that is lost. We could not keep it. The brick we felt was sturdily placed is all too easily pulled loose and discarded. The wall comes tumbling down. I too often think of changes as things that are done rather than understanding change as an ongoing process, something that requires ongoing nurturing, maintaining, sustaining, reviving, and restoring when I have neglected it or taken it for granted. This is as true for the changes I make personally as those I seek to affect in the wider world, because here, too, I can sometimes, at my best, make changes and yet somehow fail to keep the changes I have made. Or I take the positive changes I make for granted, let slide the discipline that made them happen, neglect the nurturing, maintaining, sustaining, reviving, and restoring, because I imagine that I have made the change rather than seeing the change as a process that I must continually choose to engage, that I must continually choose to keep with me. Simply exercising, for example. <laughs> and I mean simply. I'm not talking intense workouts at the gym, but simply staying active, walking, biking, stretching. I have an innate sedentary nature, for lack of a better phrase, slothfulness, some might say, that works against me exercising. I know that it's good for me. I know that I feel better when I do it. And yet when I'm feeling lazy and as blatantly illogical as it sounds, I can sometimes convince myself that having exercised sometime in the past... Having exercised somehow makes up for me not exercising in the present. Or stretching it even further that I, though not exercising presently, I am the kind of person who exercises. 
(laughs) Now, as ludicrous as these thoughts sound, the more they take hold of me, and sometimes they do, the greater the chance I will continue in my exercise avoidance, all the time reassuring myself by remembering that I have exercised and that further I'm the kind of person who exercises all current evidence to the contrary notwithstanding. I fail to keep the change I have made because I allow myself to lose sight of why I made the change in the first place. I do care about my health. I do want to feel better not simply comfortable. I do experience benefits in perception, outlook, even gratitude. I need to keep these before me and stop acting like a spoiled child who is stubbornly resistant to being made to do something. I fail to keep the change when I have no accountability outside of myself. We have already heard the amazing rationalizations and justifications that I can come up with. I remember when I first got sober, letting people know I was in recovery, friends and family. And though that was hard, it also felt more secure. And when I would travel places alone, there was an unsettling feeling of having only myself to hold me accountable. I could have a drink or two or three and no one would know. Luckily, that felt more like a danger than an invitation, but the invitation was there. It is a similar experience with exercise. If my wife, Hanji, knows I have committed myself to walking every morning, she can at least ask me if I've decided not to walk when she sees me on the couch. And I then at least need to take responsibility for my actions. To keep the change, I need to be willing to look at what is real, to remind myself of why I have made this change in the first place, and to have some system of accountability when I am tempted to become apathetic, lazy, or simply distracted. And I know Those rationalizations and justifications sound ludicrous and hypocritical and all of that, but I see them played out on a national scale. For instance, when you hear, that's not us, in response to something that just happened in this country, that's not us? Who is it? We're the kind of people, we're not the kind of people who would do that, right? Growing up with two older brothers steeped in the revolutionary movements of the 60s and 70s, I thought that I was well-educated in the terribly painful failures of America to fully achieve its promise. I've been shocked in recent years to find how deeply embedded that old tired phrase is within me, that phrase that says, It can't happen here. It can't happen here. And I know it is my privilege, my societal placement as a white, male, straight, cisgender individual that has allowed me to carry this unrealistic expectation for this long. I can now hear 
that there have been plenty of people telling me not only can it happen here, it has happened and it is happening here. If I am to keep the change, I have to look at what is real. And so much of the talk around political campaigns boils down to winning and losing. Can we beat them? Who is ahead? What did the polls say? And it pits us one against another, understandably. Which side are you on? What scares me about that is that I can forget what drives me to try and affect the changes. I can forget what is important about the work beyond trying to beat the other side, to win a victory, to put them in their place. And I don't wish to be naive about this. There are people I find hateful, quite frankly. People who I believe are carrying out cruel actions with little concern for the consequences beyond winning. And yet, at my best, I am working for changes that I feel will benefit those people too, that includes those people. I'm working toward collective liberation. I'm working toward a society that invites the best from all of us and, yes, holds us accountable. That is the vision which calls me forth. Accountability. If I want to be part of keeping the change, I have to be accountable to people outside myself. There's a very practical reason that our eighth principle, which the congregation adopted last June, speaks of our actions that accountably dismantle racism and other oppressions. The accountability is key because I can engage in all kinds of diversionary justifications in my own head. I can forget. I can wander unintentionally from the mission. I can grow apathetic or cynical. I often need to be called to my best self, and that call cannot come from inside the house. And if I want to help keep the change, I have to ground it in something bigger than any particular change. When we speak of the spiritual grounding of social action, I think we are in part talking about staying connected to why it matters in the widest sense. We are saying that the change we are enacting outside of ourselves follows from something planted so deep it's never rooted up, in the words of the Tao Te Ching. Not even in the face of disappointment and defeat. We are talking about that spirit of life which blows in the wind and rises in the sea and moves in the hand giving life the shape of justice. We are talking about that love which, if we allow it, will never fail to guide us. 